You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. I'm Georgia Hart, Principal Consultant at Middleton Executive and your guest host. I'm passionate about all things product and tech and can't wait to explore some amazing topics with Australia's top product leaders. Joining me today is Rob Crowder. Rob has had an impressive career to date, starting out in digital marketing in the UK before moving to Australia, where he created digital products for PwC and built a coaching device and app for dedicated tennis players. He's now head of product at Neutromics, where he leads a talented team of technology and product people who share the same passion for revolutionizing healthcare. Rob's focus is creating a roadmap of products based around their core sensing technology and can tackle the biggest healthcare challenges that we currently face. So welcome to the Product Edge, Rob. Hi, Georgia. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Very excited today. Um, On the Product Edge, we've previously discussed the art of storytelling with Josh Sentner. So today I'm really looking forward to understanding from you how product managers can develop the narrative of a product Before we get started, could you possibly introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm head of product at Neutromics. Um, We're a company that's uh, developing a small piece of wearable technology. Um, It's something that can unleash an information superhighway about our bodies. So it can monitor various molecules just under the skin. And with that information, um, as you said up top, we can use that to provide new insights to clinicians in a timely way that can allow us to tackle massive problems like um, cardiovascular disease, which affects 200 million people, chronic kidney disease that affects 700 million people worldwide. Um, So our mission is that we can um, tackle preventative deaths, essentially, with new information that's never been available before. So we're on a mission to do that. Um, my job at Neutromics is to build out that product roadmap. Um, we're still reasonably early, but we've made some good progress. We're building out our first set of products. And my role, as you said, is to look after the team that's building out these products, um, ensure that they're useful, valuable, and um, are built to the, obviously, medical device regulations, very important. But more important than that, that they result in a successful business, which means we're helping people. And that's that's my job. Yeah. And as you know, there are many steps to take in order to create a product narrative from framing and solving the problem to designing the features, creating the product roadmap, and then of course, building. So can you explain to our listeners what the difference is between a product story and a product narrative? Yeah, sure. So um, the way I understand it, uh, how I've always understood it, a story is something that has protagonists, it has uh, you know, difficulties to overcome. It's it's an articulation of what a product can do for people and how the company is bringing it to life, the obstacles they've overcome, the challenges. Um, it has all the classic elements of a story. Um, a narrative, um, and the way I use it, is what is the product doing in its life? What's its job? 
um, and it has a start point, an end point, and in the middle it's doing things. So it's a sort of timeline journey of how that story actually plays out, focused on the product in use for the people that are using it. That's the way I would I would distinguish it typically. When is the best time to implement a product narrative? Yeah, so in, in my experience, um, I think the best time is at the start, the very early stages of defining a product. Um, as I spoke about there, when you've got everyone around the table and they've all got a different picture in their minds of what this thing is that's generally the point to start because the act of actually laying out the assumptions via a narrative via a timeline um, actually prompts discussion because people naturally order things in a way that they think they're going to happen with a product and then if you've got everyone looking at it then they start to debate about how one thing should happen before another thing and you're already starting to co-create so it's really powerful to do it as early as possible, really, and don't be worried too much about making mistakes, who's right, who's wrong. It's just about getting everyone around it. Following a particular process, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And will the product narrative change throughout the process of creating a product, I'm sure? Yeah, it does, it does. Yeah, I mean, often it ends up bearing no resemblance to what you started with, which is a good thing. Um I mean, I just see it as a really valuable way to unpick assumptions along the journey of defining what the product is. And those assumptions come from three broad areas, I guess. You've got the business inputs. So, you know, how is this product going to make money in the market? Who are the customers? How are they going to buy it, access it? You've got the technology people. So what is the solution? How is it going to work? And then you've got the product people who are saying, well, it needs to operate or do these things in this way for the people that are going to use it so it's usable and valuable for them. And that, that applies to software, hardware, any kind of product, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally, through the course of those conversations and discussions, the map starts to build itself, and it can include artifacts like wireframes for UX. It can include concept drawings of devices. It can include personas. So many things that you can hang off each particular stage of it that, again, help everyone come back to it because it, as it builds, it becomes more and more useful. It's like a magnet. Um, everyone in the team starts to gather around it, so it's it's pretty powerful in that respect. Amazing. And so how, how does the product narrative affect the customer and sales enablement? Yeah, so in defining a product, we're always thinking of the customer at the start. Um, so... Essentially, what we're trying to do is zero in on what the most valuable thing is for them Um, because they're at the heart of it. If we're building medical devices, we want to talk to the end users, the patients, but the clinicians as well. That's our area. We want to know from them and test with them the assumptions we've made about why it's usable and valuable. Then if you do crack that, then you have um, a reasonable bet that adoption is going to be high because the people that want it and need it If you're addressing the unmet need and you've done those things right, you've got something they're going to use. And then from a kind of sales perspective, you've pretty much got the story there to say that I know if we get this to those people by whatever channels you want to in terms of sales, they're going to use it, they're going to adopt it. So the two things really work together and make each other's lives easier um, when it's done right. I'm sure some things can go wrong. What what are some of the things to avoid when 
creating a product narrative? Yeah, um, it's it's tricky because it does require um, pragmatic debate about things. So where it can go wrong is when I mentioned those groups, if a group isn't represented or there's no equality in the way that those sessions are run. So you end up with perhaps a technology-driven product, which works great, but it's not valuable. Or you end up with one that's like a product designer's dream, looks fantastic, but completely useless for the people that are going to use it. Um, that's the hardest bit, like the equality of voices in that journey and making sure everyone's had the chance to input and is regularly involved in that. That's the hardest part, and that's where it can go off the rails. Mm. How how do you ensure that it, I guess, biases don't come into play and that it is an even playing ground? Yeah, I think that's the role of the product manager. It's part of the job to do that. Um, you are, by nature, a pragmatic person who can assess and understand all the views that are coming forth to change the direction of a design or a feature or a product itself as a product a product owner that's the general term for it you you hold the insights you know a way to a framework for yourself as a way to make decisions in medical device land you might have it's quite dull but you might have an initial risk register that tells you some of the boundaries you can play within but um for other products software products you might have a specification that really helps you make decisions so you're really the linchpin of how those teams are working with each other and you can arbitrate based on those linchpin documents that you've got that can help you um but it's not easy um and it's often i think the hardest part of being a product person a product owner product manager whatever term you want to use that's that's the toughest bit i think yeah so from that then what would you say are the three most important things to factor in when developing a narrative of a product yeah so i think i think the first thing would be to make sure that all parties are included and you'll know this from the start when you've developed your product spec you'll, you'll quickly highlight who needs to be talking about it so just making sure that they're all represented um Make sure that there's regular debate. So have a rhythm of work. You know, the typical kind of agile sprint type activities that happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's having a defined rhythm and a way to frame debates and gather people around the artifacts. That needs to happen on a regular basis. So you're always making progress. The key is to be able to make decisions. Um, and that needs to happen in a, in a timely way, in a regular way. And I think with those decisions, what you get, the third thing, is outcomes. So if you are making decisions, it means you've decided to do something and there should be an artifact to support it, whether that's a wireframe that's been validated with users, whether that's an epic or a story that's um, meeting, that's met some acceptance criteria. Um, they, those are the things that have to be produced along the way and can be added on to the journey map. Um, but that's critical. Like you've, you're actually making progress through decisions and producing outputs. So what would you say has been the biggest outcomes when you've created a product with a really strong narrative compared to when you haven't had a strong narrative? Yeah, I mean, we're right in the middle of it now, if I'm honest. Um, we're creating our first product for um, therapeutic drug monitoring, which sounds like um, 
something quite niche, but um, it's a really big problem. And it's, so I talked up front about the really big challenges that we can tackle. They're huge. Preventative health is massive, but Mm -hmm. it's really, um, we've got to start pulling the thread from something that's acute and urgent. So I could tell a story about a product that everybody could wear that could monitor them for chronic kidney disease. But if you really get under the skin of it, that's really difficult to do because it's not typically known whether you have it or not. Um, So there's millions of people out there who are at different stages of it, and that's hard to diagnose. And there's not really clinical consensus. So that's an example of developing a product that sounds good in principle, but in practice, there's a ton of stuff that aren't known. So in applying this principle to us, we had to start with a product that had an urgent, unmet, acute need. So monitoring of important drugs that tackle infections allows us to intervene at a point where there's clinical consensus that if we don't do this, the consequences happen straight away and they're dire in that infection gets worse, people can die, they leave hospital with acute kidney injury and all kinds of other factors, which mean they'll be visiting the hospital again pretty soon. Um, So that's why I use techniques like this to really zero in on what should we be doing first because we've got such a huge wealth of opportunities in front of us, it's really important that we're able to narrow down, focus on something important first and get that done successfully. Um, so whilst it might not be as big a market as those other uh, ones that I mentioned, it's still urgent, it's still important, it's still acute. We need to do this and we, there's pull in the market for it. So um, I think that's been the biggest achievement for us as a group so far, the ability to zero in on that and and execute on it yeah it sounds amazing and what a massive impact that you guys are making yeah absolutely yeah I mean we're hoping when we get this to market I mean there's one particular drug which is used to tackle infections that is used by over six million people in the U.S. every year um and it's it's difficult to track its um effect on patients um from acute kidney injury to, you know, ineffective treatment. The clinicians are basically going blind with this. So we're going to give them a new monitoring tool, which will change all that. What are some of the tools that you've used to create a really strong product narrative? Are there ones that you favour over others? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, particularly in times like these that we live in right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So in a digital sense, um, obviously using tools like Mural, or Miro, um, they're good because you can just build out that narrative. You've got these huge screens to play with. You know, people can join in, and their notes to add artifacts to it. it can It can work in a virtual sense. Um, in a more, I guess, traditional, old school kind of way, a wall and some system cards or a floor with some system cards is a good way to work. Um, I'm, I'm kind of biased towards the wall aspect. Um, so I generally try and commandeer an area of the office and that's where the, the meeting point is we all gather around. So yeah, system cards, um, whatever you need to pin that up and everything else can start to hang off it. What are listeners of the Product Edge would love to know is what's been your greatest achievement to date? Yeah, it was probably something 
Um, aside from what I'm doing at the minute, I mean, I, I believe this will be the greatest achievement and we've already made some good steps. But I think from a from a personal point of view, it was when I knew what I should be doing career-wise and being a product person. It was just, it was way back when I was doing kind of um, product-based work for a bank in the UK. I'm, I'm struggling not to say the name of them because they were kind of involved in the global financial crisis. So. <laughs> Um, but anyway, what I did was um, implement click to chat And this was like 15 years ago kind of thing. Um, and whilst it sounds like a simple thing, it had all the hallmarks of doing product management the way I've described it. I just didn't really know I was doing it. But I, I loved it because there was a, an unmet need. There was a group of customers that were crying out for this thing. I could see the technology opportunity there but that had never been implemented really. And so I took it upon myself to just try and pin those two things together. And I basically commanded a kind of area of a call center, like trained a team up to do click to chat um, and got them engaging with customers in a new way. Um, and it added kind of like half a billion dollars, uh, half a billion pounds of business. Um, so in terms of outcomes, that was important at a time when there was heavy criticism around banking. This this was a, like a really targeted way to go after the right people in the right way, have the right conversations, and everyone gets what they want from it. Um, and that really excited me. That was a huge impact, and I felt good. It put me on a kind of talent pathway, and it just really cemented the fact that I was doing the right kind of work, and I loved it. And that's that feels like the biggest one personally. Um, but I think professionally what I'm doing right now is it's going to be the one that will eclipse everything. And what's been one of the biggest obstacles that you've had to overcome in your product career? Uh, it's, pro- it's probably getting over myself, to be honest. Um, product people are generalists. There's, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's the biggest obstacle. <laughs> <laughs> so as a generalist, you need to have insights across business technology product. You know, you, you're the CEO of the product. You have to know everything about it, the competitors, the landscape, and knowing a little about a lot is a good thing in that respect. And I think typically in the workplace today, it's probably it's probably a pressure to be right a lot of the time. Um, and I certainly felt that through my career you're you expected to show up add value do things correctly um but when you're developing something new um it's about being comfortable being wrong a lot of the time <laughs> and running with what you've learned from that to zero in on what the right thing is and that was a hard thing for me to get my head around professionally because everyone wants to turn up to work and do a good job and be valued and it, it's kind of flipping that narrative a bit so that was my own kind of personal journey through it of starting to be comfortable being a generalist is a good thing it's to be valued um be proud of it um and i think that that's a real breakthrough moment for me really when i realized i i can do that and it's valuable to be like that yeah i love that and i guess steering away from being that perfectionist and getting things right all the time and it's actually knowing okay it's okay to get things wrong and learn from that yeah absolutely it's crucial and it's so hard now. I mean, we're driven by so many things that promote the need to be right and to do things in a perfect way. And this, I feel, I, I think so many, there's so many people out there, I think, who are perfect product managers who probably 
are not even sure that they are or don't know that they are. <laughs> and I want them to, to realise that it's okay to know a lot, um, to know a little about a lot of things because um, they're, the, they're the pragmatic thinkers that can produce breakthrough moments. Absolutely. Well, Rob, it's been so amazing talking to you today. I really appreciate you sharing your insights and experiences with us. How can the Product Edge listeners stay connected with you? Yeah, so you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active on that space, just sharing my thoughts and things about product development. Um, tends to have a medical bent to it, just given my life at the minute, but um, lots of interesting stuff going on there. There's also the Neutromics company page on there where we post lots of insights about fundraising and other aspects of um, life as an early company. Um, and then our website, neutromics.com.au, you'll find out about what we're doing on there um but that's where you'll find me mostly and lastly what would be your one piece of advice for product managers yeah i think i'd reflect back on what i was saying earlier um not being afraid to be wrong it's okay um challenge all the assumptions use those learnings to zero in on what you think the right thing is and just focus on the the customer the endpoint. what value are you providing that's that should be the arbiter of everything, really. Um, and I think that will stand you in good stead. Amazing. And I think that is the, always the number one thing, right? Keeping the customer in mind and realigning what you're doing to make sure that you're solving problems for the customers and, and solving all of their issues. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Rob. Um, and we'll look forward to hearing more from you and Nutromics. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Product Edge, brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.